Before getting started on the Maximize Your Medicare podcast, let me thank you all. Maximize Your Medicare is the number one Medicare book on Amazon.com. I am particularly grateful and thankful to you all because the reality is, is that there are other books on the market. Two of the books have had natural franchises, and I'm just a guy. But the fact of the matter is, is that one of the reasons that I think that Maximize Your Medicare is a special book is because I couldn't really tell whether or not the other books written have been written by someone who has actually met everyday people from all different walks of life. That's why I created Maximize Your Medicare, because I was easily able to put myself in your shoes, because I've met you, plain and simple. So I empathize, understand you know, the depth of confusion and the sources of confusion. And to address that, Maximize Your Medicare was born. Anyway, my gratitude, really. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jay O. I'm the host of the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. I'm also the author of Maximize Your Medicare. You can find the official website for the book, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. In addition to that, you know, I this <laughs> I tell you, you know, how bad I am at self-marketing, self-promotion of my professional services. Ads are up, finally. Only took, you know, almost a decade you know, for your free consultation. So basically what happens is if you just want simple sign up, I'm going to help you all the way across the finish line for free. You know, there's some financial advice given to individuals that require it when they have very complicated investment and financial planning aspects to health insurance and Medicare. That can happen. You can look at my podcast and a number of episodes to try to basically alert people to the fact that, you know, there are these interactions that many people don't think of. And unfortunately, I have to report to you, you know, what happens is that financial advisors say, look, I'm just your stock guy. I don't know anything about these other complicated topics to try to keep them segmented from each other. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the pod. All I can, the bottom line is, you know, that's a mistake. That's a mistake because there's an interaction. We're not going to live in a world where you can keep these things separate. That world is now gone. And by not dealing with them together, the cost for persons who overlook these details is thousands of dollars. It's not $10, $20. So the idea that you're just going to be able to Get this money back on the oversight by from your investment portfolio. We're talking about you know tens of percents compared to to your portfolio in certain cases, and so the idea that you're going to just be able to do that by I'm going to make up the difference in investments, no, that you know though that kind of assumption you know has been dashed here in 2020. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you can see the flaw in what I just said, right? Did you hear it? Yeah. Well, if I could make it up anyway, 
Shouldn't I have kept an, kept the money and avoided the mistakes in the first place and kept them both? <laughs> Onward. So the first segment today is, you know, a quick update on two pretty big recent developments that we've seen in the news over the past even the week, right? Yesterday. Yesterday. Gilead Sciences. Is it Gilead Sciences? Yes, Gilead. Anyway, you know, the most uh, well-known name is the maker of remdesivir, which is the COVID treatment medication. Well, you know, they're not going to win a lot of fans in the public because they priced, they, you know, they priced remdesivir to be $3,120 per U.S. patient with private insurance. So, you know, this is just a pretty bad look. And this is not this is not like the subject of see me after class because let's step back for just a moment. Number one, you will not find me in the camp to say that all of these companies uh, should do stuff for free. That's not going to be me. That's never going to be me. And the simple reason is that there's tremendous pressure on these companies they fire blanks a lot, right? They fire blanks a lot. They're out there trying to test for other other remedies for other situations. You don't get to do that for free. You don't get to deploy, you know, any guy off the street either, right? I'm pretty sure those persons who are working this out or trying to even experiment, right? That's not the that's not at the, the guy at the bottom of the class, right? That is a PhD, teams of PhDs, teams of you know people who are testing these things, running these trials, and even if you get to the trial phase, you can fail. Guess what? That money is money that is gone. And somebody says, oh, well, you know, they get it all back by a single drug. Yeah, okay. Put yourself in those shoes, right? I'm going to buy you know, or I'm going to invest in this 20 times in a row and fail with the full faith that I'm going to succeed at some point. Mm, you know, okay, if the cost of, of failing each of the 20 times is, you know, $40,000 to you, you will reconsider it. Well, these trials cost a lot. So anyway, you know, I, I swerved because it's easy to call the Mercs, the Pfizer's, Big Pharma, you know, the villain. Just as in anything in healthcare, right? In the in that's in other words, the stakeholders are huge and very public. Hospitals, doctors, insurance companies, financial advisors, big pharma, right? And it's easy to try to point your finger because that's an identifiable party. And yeah, you see these articles about, oh, well, in Germany, it costs, you know, X dollars to administer healthcare. Okay. And we'll get into this at some, you know, for a deep dive when I don't, when I throw rocks at all of these different, you know, little articles in the media and statements. And then, you know, people take hold of it saying, oh, well, it just costs, you know, so much less in these other countries. Okay. They don't have the cost of becoming medical doctor to be $500,000. 
they don't have legal structures that if you make a mistake and now all of a sudden the doctor's out another, you know, seven digits or the hospital. So the idea that you're just going to be able to flip a dip switch and then lower the systematic cost of healthcare in the United States and yet pluck out the single statistic that you use as evidence that it can be better and we should be able to make it better like at a snap of a finger, I just find that difficult to believe. And my point here is that this is what ends up happening. I mean, don't get me wrong. The United States is not the only place there's a curse, right? Which is that people cherry pick the single statistic that that is kind of aligned with their point of view or their complaint of the day, and they use that as their full set of evidence. Okay. Anyway, let's just get back to Gilead. Remdesivir is the approved, uh, you know, drug for COVID-19 in certain instances. Now, they have announced that COVID, that the you know, cost is going to be somewhere like $390 a vial to governments. And then for private insurance people, that is going to be $520 per vial. So this is a bad look from a stick from the sticker price point of view. Let's back up for a moment. Let's back up for a moment, right? Persons with insurance, persons with health insurance that is ACA approved, who is that? That is anyone who's bought on the marketplace. That is anyone who has bought from insurance companies that explicitly says it is ACA approved. That is covered for zero dollars out-of-pocket expenses to you. Okay? Why? Because COVID-19 treatment is mandated to be at no cost to consumers, to patients, if you have individual health insurance, if you have group health insurance, but only if that group of health insurance is something called fully insured. So that means, unfortunately, that I've got to go into the weeds here. All right. So what happens is there's strictly compliant ACA insurance, strictly compliant. Okay. That is fits something that has, you know, let's just call it some model. And without throwing around, you know, all this specific terms, if your health insurance fits that model in some way or form, it doesn't matter if you have a bronze, silver, or gold plan, then remdesivir will have zero dollar copay due to the fact that the federal government had mandated that, what? that COVID-19 cost of treatment is zero. I didn't say that something, some other side effect of COVID-19, but if it's for the direct cost of COVID-19, the cost is zero. So again, the sticker price looks bad. I get all that. The practical reality is it costs zero for those. Now, who is still on the hook. Okay. So do you know all these health sharing plans, you know, religious groups, et cetera, et cetera, where, and, and these plans do not, are not compliant. They do not comply with the Affordable Care Act. 
as such, the cost of remdesivir is going to be determined by that group. You know, I didn't make much or, you know, I am a licensed agent and also a person who is able to help persons on the federal marketplaces because you need to get specific authorization to be able to do so. Anyway, that's not that big a deal. But what I am saying is, you know, I did not talk very much about these health sharing ministries, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they've got tons of different, you know, names and you've gotten mail, you heard, you know, advertisements about it. And I didn't really talk about what, what weaknesses exist. But I have never actually, and here's your private reveal, which is I have, even though I could have aligned and represented those plans. I do not. I do not. And I don't for very specific reasons. Those specific reasons are here revealed for the first time today because I've actually never written about it. I've also never spoken about it until now. So reason number one is the terms and conditions are actually far more opaque, far more confusing than un under the Affordable Care Act. The reason is the individual plans get to basically do what they want. They can change the rules to the payout. And again, you know, please, please go to YouTube and, and watch, you know, Life's a Gamble. That's, you know, the most important video that I've made on YouTube, on the YouTube channel. Anyway, the point is when you're evaluating financial contracts, here's the issue. You've got a cost, you've got a potential payout, whether that be on, you know, five shares of Facebook versus Apple. Every financial matter is about this, which is how much you're going to pay, what's your probability of payout, and how much you're going to get if you're right. How much do you lose if you're wrong? Okay. Insurance is an option. It's not an investment per se. It is a money that you pay in the instance that you require benefits, period. That's it. The issue here is I don't end up suggesting contracts where something is moving and not written down. We already know that the probability of you requiring health care is uncertain, okay? You don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what your DNA is. I don't know what your health history is, etc. You do better. And now you have some extra randomness involved, which is COVID-19, all right? However, what under these health-sharing ministries, and I'm not trying to throw a rock at churches because ministry sounds like it's church, religious origin. It's not about religion. It's about the contracts. Let me, those followers, you already know this. My point is, is that anything where I don't know where the payout is, I can't tell you whether or not I think it's worth it for you. And I'm not comfortable attaching my name to that situation. If the seller of the contract gets to change the payout for any reason under duress, that's precisely the guy I try to keep away from. Now, the sticker price 
looks attractive. I get it. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, and here you are. Here you are right here. Back to remdesivir, back to COVID-19, back to these health sharing ministries. The fact is, their reserve pots of money that they've collected from you may be insufficient. And if it's insufficient at that time, when is the time that they say, okay, well, this is not included because they've decided after the fact? Yeah, here's your situation. And now all of a sudden you paid you know, $100 or less a month, $200 less a month for something that you thought was insurance, something that you thought would create the payout and benefits when you needed. And if it didn't, under ACA compliant insurance, carrier doesn't actually have a choice, right? And there are formal, formal paths to complaining, formal. So I'm not saying it's going to be any fun, to appeal stuff with insurance companies. It's not. From a practical point of view, for an individual person, no, this is not a pleasant experience. I tell persons, hey, the reason you want to do business with Jay on a coin flip or since I don't control the price is because of that type of detail. Meaning that if there's a controversy, you need someone to be able to say, okay, who can help me direct traffic? Even if he's not a lawyer, how can I tell where to go? Where to? Where do I even start to complain? Everyday person, very difficult. Very, very difficult. So, the fact of the matter is, is remdesivir is going to be $0 for ACA compliant plans, period. Because of the fact that the CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, has mandated This also means that this is true for original Medicare, back to Medicare, original Medicare and Medigap, this will be zero. Why? The reason is, is that you you don't get to go home and administer remdesivir to yourself privately. You've got to be in a hospital. And when you're in a hospital, that's covered by Part A. And the, the copay for and the cost of that, that service, your cost sharing under Part A is zero. That's it. When the carriers have said, look, we are paying for all the direct costs of COVID-19, remdesivir is one of those direct costs. The direct cost of the testing, if you at least show symptoms, is waived. Remdesivir then because you have to be in a hospital in order to to get it, will cost zero. Next headline is, and you know, the next update on what is going on in the current events cycle is slightly related, or no, is largely related, but the existing administration has filed for a complete repeal of the Affordable Care Act. And let's first go through the logic on, you know, the logic by which they're using. The logic that they're using is that, you know, the Affordable Care Act itself is a tax. And the reason I want to include this segment here 
on this podcast is, you know, I have discussed this. I've discussed this aspect about the Affordable Care Act. Leave out your politics for the moment, okay? If you think through the way that I've described almost every financial topic, no, I, I just did it in the last segment, right, which is follow the cash flow. Follow the cash flow, right? And so under the Affordable Care Act, what happens is if you have a higher income, you have to pay more. That's it. And every person has to pay because of the individual mandate. That's following the cash flow. If I said to you, everyone has to pay, and if you make more, you pay more, what does that sound like? That sounds like a tax. That sounds like a tax. I'm not here to adjudicate fairness, okay? Back to tax. So when the Supreme Court had the case in front of it, it basically used, for me, a very graceful definition, meaning which is that, look, they identified the cash flows correctly, just like I just summarized, just like I just summarized. And what did they say? Look, taxes are under the purview of the federal government and government you know, authority. That's undisputed, right? And that whether or not the tax should be levied, should be imposed on the population, that's an elective matter, meaning you're electing people to say that this is the tax that should be enacted or not. And that is your basic way of the logic by which the Supreme Court verified or approved, whatever you want to say, it came down in favor of the Affordable Care Act. The reason for using and introducing the idea in this way is because the existing administration, right, the existing presidency, what they did is they're saying, look, the individual mandate portion, in other words, you don't have to pay the tax. If you don't have to pay the tax and it's not a tax, the law doesn't hold together. right? In other words, the fact that the tax existed is the glue that held the rest of it together. Why? Because that made the 27-year-old have to pay for health insurance, which would pay for the 63-year-old. That's how insurance works. That's counting the cash flow again just at the company level of insurance. That's the, what, how insurance works. Anyway, let's continue on. So the fact of the matter is, is that the administration has said, okay, look, since we don't have an individual mandate, you don't have the requirement to buy individual health insurance. Therefore, it's, the tax no longer exists. Therefore, the thing falls apart and we can re- try to repeal the entirety. So I'm not a lawyer. Right. And apparently there are constitutional experts who are saying, you know, that's weak. But the reality is, is the Supreme Court used that logic on the way in. Couldn't I unwind the logic if it no longer apply, if a central idea no longer applies and then use that as the path to repeal? I don't know. I, that for me actually makes some sense. That is not me stating that I'm for or against the Affordable Care Act. 
I'm just saying it's not as you know outlandish a strategy to use. This, if this sounds like a big windup to a big huge, however, yeah, <laughs> here we go. However, the issue here, and I will impose my you know personal view on a lot of different stuff, and it does relate back to financial planning as well as people's analysis of financial products. And I'm talking about by the consumer, okay? Which is that trying to say that you don't like the Affordable Care Act is fine, right, by itself, in isolation, I don't really have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the the idea that, hey, we don't have a long-term care strategy in the United States, we need to have one. Okay, on board. I, I, I can understand the logic, right? I can understand the logic, right? I simply just say, look, I simply just put myself in their shoes and try to understand their perspective and see if they have a logical point. If the answer is yes, then I say, okay, I can see their logic. They're not too tough. However, the issue here is that you're trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act without a cohesive alternative. Without a cohesive alternative. And this is my issue. This is my issue. That, you know, it's fine. This stinks. That stinks. I've got a long list in my life that I can tell you that I don't like. For one reason or another. But to just to say I wish it were different without an actual plan, without, you know, steps, without an actual replacement that can work, that, 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 that's not viable. That's not viable. We've had how many years? We've had at least six years, right? We've had this entire administration. We've had the time that, that President Obama lost control of, you know, legislative houses, right? Midterm elections lost, right? So, in other words, the opposition party has had all sorts of time to try to pin together to try to piece together a viable alternative that it could sell to the American public and get voted so that it could vote on repealing taxes, one of which is the Affordable Care Act. Unable to do so. Unable to do And that's your bottom line. Right? There are certain aspects of the Affordable Care Act, you know, that I can easily say can be changed easily. Then again, there are going to be ripple effects that, and then those, those are going to be costly to certain persons. Okay, then we need to find a way to pay for it from there, et cetera, et cetera. In the years past, I have gone through lengthy articles. I've written lengthy articles in the Maximize Your Medicare newsletter. You can look back like two years ago. Anyway, and the point is, is that those proposals and me cherry-picking every single argument against the Affordable Care Act is, okay, yeah, that's fine. We want to have you know, this utopia. 
But we need a utopia. We need a place where you can actually have a viable alternative, a viable path to executing that alternative. And oh yeah, if we need extra benefits for the greater good, how about some alternatives to how we would pay for it? Hmm. So the opposition party, you know, they can say, okay, we're going to replace with, you know, great, great health care. I don't see any detail to it. So guess what? I can't evaluate the cash flow for you or a pine. And in the absence of that, and given the time, the, the timing's not great for this. Let's just, let's just agree on that because it is, you know, we, we still have COVID-19 out there. And so, you know, kind of doing, announcing this from a public relations point of view sounds a little iffy. Or desperate. Anyway, I'm not even saying that I'm for or against the Affordable Care Act. I'm not saying that I'm for or against the current administration. What I'm really saying is, look, I can't evaluate the cash flow of just simply saying, okay, I don't like this thing. Let's throw it into the bin. Since I don't have any details, I can't evaluate the cost versus the payout. And if I can't do that, I can't really say as a financial person to you that, hey, this thing is a good or a bad idea. Okay, we're running out of time quickly here. So I'm going to wrap it up here. Subscribe to this podcast and put comments and give us a five-star review wherever you are. Where is that? Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically everywhere you can get any podcast, you can find the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Thank you again for making Maximize Your Medicare the number one Medicare book on Amazon.com. I'm Jay. Thank you very much for listening. Speak with you next time.